Hi everyone, welcome to the church split and let's talk about another topic that definitely splits churches and I know a lot of people disagree with me on this and that's okay, that's why it's called the church split. We're here to have respectful discourse but today we are talking about gender roles. We're talking about what is the point of a man and a woman and today we're going to be discussing my view of scripture on this topic which is complementarianism. Now, granted, not everyone agrees with me on that and that is okay. That's why it's the church split. We encourage respectful dialogue which means if you disagree or have a question, please ask in the comments below or go ahead and comment, but be respectful. Some of y'all a bunch of turds down there and it's kind of ridiculous. I, I, once in a while I, uh, I had one, I've had people sit there and call me arrogant just for simply saying uh, my, I believe my view is true, which is weird because if saying something is true is arrogant, then saying that it's true that I'm arrogant would also be arrogant. So anyway, we're all here in a pursuit of truth. No reason to insult each other, but I truly think this is the only biblical view. I will say this. I don't think that there's much of a sustainable view for any other view than what I'm about to present to you. Now, the reason why I'm doing gender roles, now I know this is a, one of those really dicey topics that a lot of people have issue with, but we have a discussion that we're going to be dropping here soon uh, of our conversation with Brenda at God is Gray. Now, for those of you who do not know, we did a, a pro-choice Christian rebuttal video a while ago, uh, rebutting her video about being a pro-choice Christian. And for those of you who don't know, she's a very liberal, very uh, progressive Christian. She's a very California Christianity, so to speak. And uh, what's weird is that in our follow-up conversation with her, for the first hour of the two and a half hours, she talked about gender roles repeatedly and uh, sex education and all these different things. And it was weird because we came with all this data and discussion points about our abortion. And she kept wanting to talk about gender roles. So I briefly explained my gender roles, but I didn't want to hang out on it too much in that video because, again, I wanted to get to the abortion discussion. But I thought if I don't have my conversation, have any teachings up on my view here, it's going to be kind of hard maybe to tell what I was referring to in that video. So here we are. We're going to talk about gender roles. So I hope you all are all here for this. So the question is, are men and women completely and totally equal? Are, 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 is there any differences whatsoever? Now, we know we've already gone over interracial marriage. And in that, we talked about, you know, mankind has created the image of God, the Imago Dei, which is probably one of the most important doctrines in scripture. But today we are going over this. So are men and women equal? Um, do we have our own separate duties? Does God call us to different things? How, how do, do these puzzles fit together? And I think it's important to express the fact that what the Bible seems to teach and what I'm going to be walking you through today is that we're equal in value, but we are different in role. So men and women are different. This is actually pretty well known. Uh, this whole idea that gender is on a spectrum, we actually reject here at the church split. Uh, I believe we have personality traits and that our gender is our gender. And honestly, if you look at brain activity and behavioral studies, you'll notice that men tend to be one way, women tend to be another way. So we as men and women have different value, okay? We have different uh, sorry, we don't have different value. We have the same value, but we are different in role. Sorry. Uh, so we have the same value, but are different in roles. So we're all created in the image of God. We are all equal. You know, man, God created man first, and then he created woman, and he created mankind in his own image. And this goes into, there's a lot of things we could talk about theologically here, but essentially Genesis chapter 1, we're seeing God, the creator. You could almost say the masculine side of God. And then in this chapter 2, we see God, like the Bible recaps creation 
salvation, but in a more personable way. And this is where, and there's actually a name shift of God in the Hebrew, where you could say it's the more feminine. This is where the whole idea of God has these two traits and they're together because he is God. And then when he created mankind in his image, it was the two, it was the image of God and man. And that's where we see these two different dichotomies. A bit more of a philosophical deep dive there. But anyway, we won't get into that too much today. But the whole point is that man and women, we are created in the image of God. So we are all equally valuable. One is not more valuable than the other. And that is one of the issues that people have when they're going through complementarianism is they think that it means that we are prioritizing men over women. And that is actually not true. We are just saying that we're equal in value, different in role because men would be severely lost without women and women would be severely lost without men. It's okay to admit it. So all are equally valuable. So when, whenever God's given roles aren't followed though, when the roles are about to go over, chaos always follows. For example, in our world right now, we're trying to say that men and women are essentially the same, all things are the same, uh, gender is whatever we want it to be, and your biological sex has nothing to do with it. And you'll notice this has caused chaos in our world because it's created an identity crisis. When God created me as a man in the image of God as a man, Man, for me to reject my role as a man is to reject the image of God made in me. And same with a woman, if she rejects her femininity, she is rejecting the image of God in her. We talk about this with uh, Seamus and Brad in our progressive Christianity discussion. Feel free to check that and go sub to their channel at Alternate Media if you haven't already. Links are in the description of the videos with them. So anyway, so a family went through a divorce at my church recently um, uh, because, well, not so much recently, a few years ago, there's a family that went through a divorce at my church. Uh, they kind of came to my church when they were ready in the middle of the divorce. Um, and really what it was is the man wouldn't step up as his role and the wife was forced to step up in, her, in the role that she was not intended to, that God did not create for her. And what happened here is when you have had a complacent husband not doing anything and the wife having to step up and take the husband's role to at least do get the family to do do something, uh, all it created was resentment from her children and her husband, but yet the husband wouldn't do it. So what happens is that when a man, and we see this in the story of Deborah, when men wouldn't step up, God can use women, but oftentimes what happens is that resentment will soon follow. And this isn't to say that women can't be leaders. We're actually going to look into that a little bit today, uh, but it's to say that there is a difference. There is a difference between men and women. And oftentimes what happens when things fall apart, everything rises and falls on leadership, and you can almost almost always find a man, the man was being uh, passive, he was being lackadaisical, he was being unmotivated and not taking any steps. Granted, I do know women can do things too, but I'm just saying in a lot of marriages when they start falling apart, it's usually when leadership declines. No, that's not always the case. Because <laughs> there's definitely, I know, I've known some horrible things that have gone awry because of because women to go act out too. I'm just saying a lot of things are impacted by leadership. So. And of course, I'm already getting ahead of myself because I talk about leadership roles and all that right now, but I can't help it. I'm a complementarianist and I'm talking about this in my intro here. So it's also true that uh, people go, well, men and women are like the same. They're pretty much the exact same. You know, men have these tendencies too. Women have these tendencies. You know, these lines are always blurred. So you're trying to create gender, you know, placements where they don't exist. And there, this is true. The men and women are pretty much the same in a lot of areas. We tend to like a lot of the same things. We tend to dislike a lot of the same things. A lot of the majority of the things men and women both like. Okay, there's not much of a difference there. However, where men and women differ, we differ greatly. If you look at the stats and what men and women, about men and women in the areas where we differ, it is not little. 
It is very different. And this is because God has created us differently. And this whole idea, and we talked about this with Brenda in our God is Gray uh, discussion that's coming up. You know, she kept saying that, well, I don't really, there's not a difference. I don't see things in, in, in a gender dichotomy. And the problem is with doing that is then you're rejecting outright science here. We, there's definitely a difference here. So men and women um, are different drastically in our areas where we're different. For example, men are more aggressive. Look up violent crime statistics. Men are the aggressors almost exclusively. Women are very little on the, on the violent crime. Uh, we have to get into sexual assault and all those areas. Men are the main perpetrators of these issues. However, when you start looking in other areas like fraud and all these, you will find that women tend to jump in more than, more than they did in the other areas. So you'll see a lot of these things happening in the crime area. Just look at crime statistics and you'll see men and women are drastically different. Also, if you'll see single parenthood is mostly women, not so much men in the single parenthood uh, area. And you can say that's because she gave birth, but generally speaking, women tend to want the child and men are the ones who tend to, you know, bang and ditch. So we see that there is a difference uh, between how men and women behave. That's the point here. Of course, I'm talking about the negatives, but there are positives too. For example, men are more likely to work longer hours and focus more on a singular field, which is why men tend to have higher salaries than women, which is also why men tend to work up in the very top of these fields where even women dominate. So men tend to have those tendencies. Women have um, always tend to statistically prioritize family more. They definitely prioritize their children. In fact, women are more likely to go into pediatrics than, it, than other medical fields, which is funny because it pays less than maybe a brain surgeon, but they will go into those fields. So we see just by observation alone that men and women are different. So this backs up the case biblically that men and women are different in role. God has designed us differently. And if you're having, and maybe you're having like some gender identity issues yourself, this is when you turn the Bible back on yourself and you let God change you because you have to cling on to the identity God has given you, the image of God that he created in you, not the one you feel within yourself. This is actually very important because some of these things don't come nat as naturally to us as others. Some men are not good at being humble and uh, kind, loving servants, and some men aren't good at stepping up and being a strong leader when they need to be. Some men are more passive. And some women aren't good at you know humbling themselves too and learning how to t follow someone's lead. You know, and other women aren't good at, uh, you know, being engaged where they're supposed to be engaged at either. So, again, this is difficult. So, let's talk about this. So, again, when it comes to our gender differences, I'm not saying that our tendencies are always going to be those ways. I mean, obviously, it's an exception to most any rule. But we do have biological sex-given inclinations, and this backs up the idea of how God has uh, reflected us. So this is um, really reflects the roles God give, has given us. So let's talk about the role of a man first, because I'm a dude. Let me talk about dudes. I should have my wife come down here to talk about her gender role, but uh, she doesn't like cameras and she doesn't really like talking to people. No offense, but she probably doesn't like talking to you. So <laughs> she is an introvert. So that's what she is. So anyway, uh, sadly, men, it is actually not your job to be complacent. And this is actually hard for men because men, Let's just be honest, men don't, half the time, guys, we're just like, I just don't care, right? Like, we're just like, I just don't care enough. Um, but men, it's not your job to be complacent. I think that's part of our curse uh, from the Garden of Eden, is that men want to not care, but we're, we're told we have to. So, 
Your job is to actually care about your family, uh, and, and your your ability to not care, men, is actually a good thing uh, in the right situation. But still, Genesis three, at the very beginning, Genesis, the very foundation of all things, Genesis chapter three, verses seventeen through nineteen says this. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to, for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Till you return to the ground, for out of it you are taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return." It's pretty harsh words there, God. Thanks. <laughs> but then Isaiah 3.12 says this, My people, infants are their oppressors, and women rule over them. Oh, my people, you are guided, your guides mislead you, and you have swallowed up the course of your paths. This is actually kind of telling. God is using this to kind of tell them to wake up. Children should not oppress you. Children are children. They're weaker than you. They're, they're smaller than you. How are they able to oppress you? And then he goes, women rule over them. So he's saying that, and it's like, no, men, you're supposed to be, you're supposed to be the leaders. You're supposed to be the rulers. So he's going, these things are backwards here. Like, and then he says, so again, men, you are to lead. But notice here, it says that you shall eat of it all the days of your life. The curse is ground. The ground is cursed because of you. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread. So, in other words, you're going to have to work for it. And in fact, in the New Testament, he says that hey, if a man does not work, he should not eat because we ought to work, men. You're the workers. Not saying women don't work, but you are the primary force of your home to get things done. And I guess what? A lot of men, we don't like to hear that because we would rather just be lazy, wouldn't we? I think that's a human tendency in general. But I've definitely noticed men tend to want to be more complacent than women. Uh, that women, their brains tend to always, actually, they have shown, like, scientifically speaking, women are always, their brain is always thinking. And men, we actually, our brain activity is kind of like, to doop, to doop, to Like, we can literally think about nothing. Which is why, you women, when you go, hey, what are you thinking about? He goes, nothing. And it drives you crazy, usually, doesn't it? Because And when he means nothing, he literally means nothing. That's why men can go fishing for hours on end, or play a video game, or watch movies, and just, you know, anyway. So men are commanded to work, and that it will cause pain. Now, let me talk to you real quick. My dad is a very, one of the most hard, hardworking men I know. He, work, he has worked for General Motors in a factory and for the last few years, he is in his 50s and he's working six days a week, eight to 10 hours a day, mandatory. And he, he has had his shoulder reconstructed. He has back issues. My dad, has his work has caused him a lot of pain. And this, and that's the thing. Our curse as men is to work and that it will bring us pain. This will cause sweat and tears, man. Men are also cursed with this idea of working, what does that mean? I'm working to earn something. Why? For my future. I'm constantly working toward a future. I'm working toward a goal, which is why men tend to be very goal-centric. You'll notice this a lot. Men are very goal-centric. That's why they're very competitive, generally, more than women. Statistically speaking, this is true. Not saying all the time. I know. I know. But men are cursed with having to constantly think about the future for the present. And that is what God, the responsibility God has given us. Worry about the future, and you're going to have to sacrifice the present. Never being allowed to not only live in the moment, but to give up the, give up the moment for the will be. Okay? So this is why oftentimes men will work so much. It's in their nature. 
It's why men tend to be workaholics. They're always stressing about money even when they have plenty of it. I know so many women, so many wives going that he was saying that he worries too much about it. But, you know, and women do worry about it. I, I'm not saying they don't, but usually in a way of fear of not providing for the children is one of the reasons why men will. Whereas, you know, I'm mean, not whereas men will. Women will oftentimes worry about it so they can provide for their children and things along that nature. Whereas men generally want to provide nice homes and nice cars and all these things for their family because they don't want to be looked at as a failure. They want to be looking at as someone who is working towards something and providing the best for their family. And this is not a Western ideal. There's this whole idea in this liberal movement that the fact that this is this glass ceiling created by the patriarchy, men are evil, and that's what they want to... No, this is actually something that's ingrained in male nature, something that's good that we, we embrace, just not become obsessed with. So often it's also wise, uh, I can't tell you how many times my wife has told me, hey, those things don't matter, I just want to be with you. And I'm like, oh yeah, but, hmm, but I want to give you nice things. So anyway, and this is why in ancient Israel, read the Old Testament, you will find it is the man who is the administrator of his home. He is the legal representative of his home. It is the man who is supposed to be doing these things. He's not allowed to be complacent, and it's in the legal law. He has to be engaged. He cannot sit there and take us to backseat and let everyone handle the work. He's not allowed to do that. So that, there's a reason for this. Men, and, the, and there's a reason why men were also the legal representative of their home, because men are equipped differently than women. And not saying again that women are incapable of anything. In fact, women are equipped better than men in many areas as well. For example, you know, um, the mother bear mentality of a woman. Now, if you are the legal representative of your home, which means you have to be able to, you know, all right, I'm going to be objective here, da 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 da, I'm going to focus on these things. Well, the mother bear mentality is really good for protecting your kids, but maybe not always best for the legal uh, administrator of your, of your family, right? You don't need to be murdering people. So, uh, the, the men would often also work the fields and women. Women often worked in other areas. Uh, if you read Proverbs 31, you'll get this idea that she definitely worked. She worked in the vineyards. She, uh, Lydia, we're going to get to her. And so women worked in different areas, but men worked the fields. They worked in the construction. They worked in carpentry. They, you know, there was definitely fields that were more male-centric and fields that were more female-centric, just like we have today. I used to cut down uh, trees and clear power lines for a tree service. And when I, I was running a chainsaw 10 hours a day, pulling and brush and all this, and guess what? Yeah, uh, there, I knew of one woman who worked for the entire company because it was just very male-centric work. But at the same time, I, worked in, uh, I also worked in college at K Jewelers. And guess what? I was the only dude that worked, with, worked there. Just the, just the differences. Um, and the women were very good at it. They had an eye for things that you know, I didn't notice. It was amazing. You know, the men and women, very different. That's OK. Men also did, um, in Israel, they did everything they could to keep their women out of harm's way, which is another reason for this. They wanted to take care of their women, protect their women. They were more vulnerable than the men, especially in the ancient world. And if you, you know, I can hear of people already getting mad, you know, well, women are strong too. Yes, but in the ancient world, I'm sorry, women were far more vulnerable. A lot of times women and children were kidnapped for sex trafficking and things along that nature. So men would protect them at all costs. They were, the, they were, they were the, like the protected class of their society. It's not a derogatory thing. It's a good thing. So men are told to be the leaders and teachers of the respective homes as well. This is why in 1 Timothy 2.12 it says, I do not permit women to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. And this is, it's important to note here that this is referring to church authority and all those things because the church ought to reflect the creation of God and his will for his creation. 
Okay? So this isn't to say either that she can't speak at all, to remain quiet. That's not what we're saying there. Shut up, never speak. Okay, that'd be absurd. In fact, we see that women speak, and we're going to get to that, but it's just referring to what is their role in that speaking, and it says in their position of authority that is to be given over to the man. This isn't to say she can't speak at all, for we see plenty of this happening also in Scripture, but rather not to teach over men or to have authority over men. For also, as Paul says in Ephesians 5, 23 to 24, it says, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and, his, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So, yes... I do get to be a dictator of my home. Just kidding. That is not it. That's not what this is saying. You do not get to be a dictator of your home, okay? You do not get to be the communist party and be able to make all things, and she has to just deal with everything because there's an important thing that people miss here when they read this in Ephesians chapter 5. They miss the fact where it says, for husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of church, his body and himself a savior, right? He completely says in here in a minute that we ought to love our wives as Christ loved the church. So Paul, because Paul says in verses 25 through 33, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, for he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the words, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle. Notice how it's him serving the church to present the bride perfect, and in any such thing. So, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes is it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So guys, I, I just can't, I have to emphasize this so much in this video because it's such a dicey topic nowadays and it really shouldn't be. There's a biblical way that God's created things and guys, it's beautiful and I want you guys to understand that God, that everything God, God created, he's God of order and structure and has everything perfectly balanced. Men, you are, and when I grew up in fundamental Baptist churches, it was almost this whole idea that the men are the unquestionable authority of their home. But you'll notice that this actually, what I just read there about husbands loving your wife, this completely destroys the idea of the overbearing husband. And in fact, brings in the idea of a servant leader. Notice how he talks about how, what does, what has Christ done for the church? He em emphasized that so much. Men, you're the leader. But notice how much Christ served the church. G Christ is my leader. But do you know how much he humbles himself for me? Do you know how much, when I ask, when I pray to him, do you know who opens up and listens to me lovingly, not sitting there around every corner to rebuke me? Jesus Christ said, if you ask anything in my name, I'll do it. He washed the feet of the disciples. This was a man, Jesus was the man, the Messiah, who served others and put them before himself. Which means as a leader, as a man, your job isn't to be this ruthless dictator, but a servant leader, leading by example, leading through love and grace and mercy, and learning to, to speak with truth and grace, which means you might have to be harsh, but you can be loving in your harshness. And you know what? When I, get, when I pray to God, 
so when I, sometimes the answer is no. Which means sometimes husband is okay to say no, but what's your motivation and how are you gonna approach that no? So you can lead, but you have to lead with grace. So you do not get to sit there and just be the ruthless dictator. He is not the unquestionable authority either, because guess what? Some people take this concept of the leadership way too far, right? God intended this to be the perfect balance, but men are told to be examples of godliness as well. We are told to be godly, which means this. How can he be the unquestionable authority in the house if Christ is the head of the church? What is the church? Well, it's the body of believers. Is your wife not a believer? Well, she is, which means her ultimate head, the ultimate authority over her is Christ, which means if you are being a ruthless dictator and you are being cruel and wrathful, she's not inclined to have to listen to you. She has to listen to God. She has to listen to Hashem, the name above all names. She has to listen to him before she listens to you. And if you are contradicting that, uh, I saw a post recently um, from uh, people at Fairhaven Baptist College. And yeah, I'll say, uh, by the way, I will say uh, institutions' names on this channel. Um, and a, a bunch of people there were defending the idea that if a, if a father says she, his daughter cannot date or his son cannot date someone of another ethnicity, there's people on there actually saying that, well, the father is the authority of the home, so they, the daughter or son should listen to their father. And I'm sorry, that is bunk. Because if the father's rule is overruling God's rule, you're in a, no, that doesn't happen. They have to listen to the righteous law, which is God's. All the laws in the home have to come from God first. So therefore, as Jonathan with his father, remember his father wanted to kill David. Saul wanted to kill David. And what did Jonathan do? He had to defy his father, the authority, also the king, in order to follow God's rule. So again, this is not to say that men are ruthless dictators. Because we are to obey God ourselves. And when we are defying God, our family has a moral obligation to choose God over us. So again, lead with grace and responsibility. But as I was saying, we are to be the examples of godliness in our home, which is, by the way, a huge responsibility and a huge burden. Titus 2, 6 through 10 says this, Likewise, I urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Notice how this is the younger men, let alone us, you know, those of us who are older. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame. Having nothing evil to say about us, bond, bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing and not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. They may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. We are to be a complete examples of godliness and grace and goodness in our homes. And if you are not leading in that sense, and again, does not mean that you are a weak person, does not mean you get to be ran over by anyone, you ought to stand strong in your faith and in the right and wrong. Because guess what? As your family has a moral obligation to obey God over you, you also have a moral obligation to obey God over them. So that means that they want something that's contrary to God, then you ought to say, no, be the leader, be the servant leader. And you'll actually find um, when you do this, 
that things actually work out actually pretty nicely. Uh, real quick, uh, before I get into the women's roles, Brian here, you many guys know the producer, he's been on, he was, he's on the episodes with uh, God is Gray. Uh, Brian here and his wife, they were going, they went through a horrible time. By the way, I had, I have their permission to share the story. I, Brian told me to share the story a little bit. Literally looking up divorce lawyers, like they were highly considering giving it all up. Sorry, I have something like in my nose. <laughs> so, but anyway, uh, they had this horrible, horrible uh, time in their marriage. Highly considering what in the world they're even doing together kind of thing. And Brian realized it was all his fault. He was like, this is almost 100% on me because he was being complacent. He was not engaged in spiritual leadership at all. He wasn't opening his Bible. He wasn't really caring what church they went to. Wasn't engaged in biblical teaching. He was being complacent, didn't want to really deal with any of it. And it frustrated the snot out of his wife because her husband wasn't home. Like he was not there. So Stacy, his wonderful wife, is trying to get the man to engage a little bit and he won't. And finally, like they went to uh, counseling with their pastor and they had tried professional counselors and it didn't work. And it's funny because the pastor's like, well, husband, you know, Brian, you're supposed to be doing X, Y, and Z. Step up, be a man, be a godly man. And he's like, and he, it was this whole conversation he had, and Brian was really having a hard time with it. He, he kind of walked away a little bumped and bruised. But then afterwards, he went, okay, i got to do things God's way. And because he was offended at first, right? Like anyone would. And um, then ever since then, they worked on their marriage. And now their marriage is great. And they're fantastic, and they're together, and they're no longer looking at divorce lawyers. And they talk about it all the time how they went through this hard time, but once they did things God's way, God fixed it. Um, oddly enough, Stacy actually knew what the problem was. Uh, she just needed her husband to do it. She's a good, godly person. Took Brian a while to catch up. So, uh, but anyway, well, hey, they admitted it, so it's okay. But anyway, let's now talk about the role of a woman. So, okay, the man gets all the power. What's up with that? Again, God gets all the power, and it has to go there. But again, I think in our culture, we emphasize so much authority. Who's in power? Who's in power? Who's in power? Who's the authority? Oh, they're the, they're the ultimate one. They're the one with the most value. And that is so unbelievably untrue. Uh, like, for example, my church. I'm the pastor, which means I'm the leader to many people. But my church does not function if I don't have people doing other things. Okay, uh, me, yeah, it's great to have a leader, but your leader has, no, there's no reason to have a leader if there are no Indians and anyone helping out with anything else. So a leader is only as good as his people. So anyway, so now let's go back to Genesis chapter three, uh, back again. So the role of a woman we see is the curse. Genesis chapter three, verse 16 says this, to the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Notice this, and women, does this not bother you? One of your curses was uh, for sin was pain and childbearing, which is excruciating. My wife is pregnant right now. And that's one thing we talked about. I'm like, Ugh. she has low pain tolerance. I'm, I'm kind of worried for her. She's a little scared. But it says, in pain, you shall bring forth children. But it, shall, it also says, your desire shall be contrary to your husband and he shall rule over you. So he's going, you're going to desire opposite of what he wants, and uh, but he's still going to have authority. And it's God's way to, because, you know, as Eve usurped authority, now she has to be submissive under authority. And this was the whole curse of women. And men is the whole fact that we weren't there. We weren't working when we were supposed to be. We weren't protecting when we were supposed to be. And so now we are cursed forever with this. So the, the Genesis 3 is actually very... Uh, you know, really get into some really deep studies with this and check out how it actually affects the real world and it'll actually kind of surprise you. So we've already seen that Christ is the head of the church. So the man, as the man, is the head of the home. We understand that. So as we're talking about women here, 
I, in 1 Corinthians 11, 3, it says, but I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a, a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. So again, we see here a hierarchy, and that, that there's even a hierarchy in the throne room, right? The holy servants are serving to Jesus, Jesus subservient to the Father, the whole nine yards. So again, this does not mean women are dainty little teacups. Okay? And that's the problem with this. When people get this idea that men are the leaders, they think, oh, so women are these dainty little teacups. They're supposed to do all these little things. Let me tell you something. Uh, Brian's wife, Stacy, she runs a horse farm, like 40 horses, trains them. She, she like manhandles, essentially, these 2,000-pound animals. It's not about being dainty teacups. Okay? That's not what it's about. This does not mean women are weak who can't speak on anything and are not strong. Because after all, in Proverbs 31, verse 16, it says this, she considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. Notice that there's strength, there's work here. She dresses herself with strength, makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. In other words, she works long hours, she works with her hands, but you'll notice that her role is slightly different here and where the focus is of her work. It is in a different field than most men would be. So women are to be the keepers of their home as well as he talks about. He says that they should be keepers at home. This probably looks different than you're thinking though because when we're thinking of working at home, we're usually thinking of, okay, yo, you do the laundry, you do the dishes, you do the cooking. No, it means that the focuses of men are different. This is the point of this. Men and women, their focuses are different. Men are to be the administrator and the representative of their home where women are to be the internal affairs. So um, in other words, women deal with the internal affairs and men deal with the external affairs. And guess what? That means, hey, you have your area, he has his area. Focus on your areas and where your areas meet, work together. And the man is the ultimate leader and the authority here. But men, you remember, you are to love your wife as Christ of the church, which means incline your ear to her because she ain't stupid. My wife is brilliant. Oh my goodness. My wife is so smart. It drives me crazy sometimes because I forget literally everything and she remembers everything. I'll literally be at home and I'll text her while she's at work. Babe, what's going on with this? She'll text me like a 40 point outline Tell me the plan for everything. She's a planner. She can plan ahead. She thinks about literally every detail. And I'm an off-the-cuff kind of guy. So very different. Men and women were different. So this isn't to say also that men and women don't help each other in these areas. It means who's taking the reins in these particular areas. Titus 2, 3 through 5, remember what I was talking about young men being godly examples. Now it says older women likewise are to be servants to be servant, to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. Don't be a bunch of drunk women. They are to teach what is good and to train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their husbands that the word of God may not be reviled. Because if men are to lead the, lead the wives as Christ leads the church. That means the women are the representative of the church, the believers, the, those beloved by God, and the husband is the representative of Christ. So if God loves and leads us and guides us, you know, with great mercy, yet great justice, that is the role of us men. But you women, what are, what are you supposed to do? Well, to love your husband 
as you would love Christ. To, it says right here, submissive to their own husbands, for that the word of God may not be reviled, to be kind, and all these things, to love your husbands and husband and the husbands, oof, your husband and your children. <laughs> None of that. No plurality in husbands, people. You don't get to marry multiple men. Who would want to do that anyway? You can't keep track of that much stuff. Us men are a mess. You can only focus on one of us, because there's only, we're, anyway, we're projects. So anyway, <laughs> so, not to be submissive to the, you know, to be submissive to the husbands that the word of God may be reviled, not be reviled. So remember, God is a God of order who desires balance. So we have similar role, we have similar value, but our roles differ. One is more, uh, we differ in extremes, remember? So our extremes are, she would be dealing with internal affairs at home, and he deals with external affairs of extra at home, right? Extra at home, like dealing with. So one is essentially the, the caretaker's inside, and he's the, the wall that's supposed to protect you from the outside. Is that a good way to put it? Family is often like a castle, you know, uh, the word of God is the foundation. The men are supposed to be the walls and the women are supposed to be all the stuff on the inside. And it's again, not the dainty teacup idea because women are strong. Women are very strong. But I, the problem is when we think submissive, we think UFC, right? We think of like submitting somebody like you're going to submit to my strength and my power. And that's not what it is. That's never been what it is when in the biblical context. It means a certain humility to it. So anyway, um, so this also is why in sexual affairs, so we are, so as Paul said, women came from man, but man came through women. So he was, uh, he was talking about value here. Women came from man, right? The, the rib, that's where women came from. But how did men get here? Well, we're all born from a woman, so we came through women. So we are equal in value, different in role. But this is why in sexual matters also, Paul doesn't say the man is only entitled to the woman's body. Right? It's not, if, he, if it was all this patriarchal idea, it'd be men, women, you have to have sex with your man whenever he wants you. That's not what he says. He goes, well, you know, hey, you, both of you, do not neglect to love one another physically. In other words, hey, if she wants to have sex, have sex with her. If he wants to have sex with you, have sex with him. Don't neglect each other. And in fact, so many marriages often fall apart because one of the spouses is neglecting the other. Either she is falling away and not wanting to have sex, or he is looking at pornography and all these other things and engaging in sexual activities where he does not belong engaging in his sexual activities. So, this isn't to say that women are also always to remain silent either. You know, the whole idea here is what's yours is mine. That's the idea of marriage and that we lead in different areas of our home. We have different roles. So again, this isn't to say that women always remain silent and that they are not allowed to teach or to speak either. It says that women aren't to teach and give authority over a man. This is talking like in a, a tabernacle set, setting or a church setting where, hey, you can't teach over them. The men are supposed to be the ones taking initiative here. Women teach other women and the children because they will incline an ear to you. Oftentimes, men come off more harsh, I think. So that's why this Paul has this, which is why Paul also tells men and only men not to give their children over to wrath because we men tend to be jerks to children more than maybe women are. Just notice, again, who beats children more statistically, men can be more wrathful, which is also why men, a lot of kids are very scared of their fathers. Um, anyway, so not always, by the way. I do know somehow that's different, but you get my point here. The men are supposed to be the leaders. But women doesn't mean you are not allowed to teach at all. Because in Acts 18.26, we see this. When Apollos, this man Apollos, started speaking, he had some things doctrinally wrong. And so, some women came up to him. It says, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. 
which is good. He's doing his job. He's taking initiative where he's supposed to. Guys, God commanded him to at being created as a man in the image of God. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside. I was okay, okay. Well, they're trained specific, specifically by Paul himself. And Apollos eventually becomes pretty big up there. Um, in fact, Paul and Apollos, um, there's some, a church has, the, the church of Corinth has kind of an issue there with the leadership. But anyway, when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. So in other words, the women weren't sitting there like, you know what, I'm going to rebuke this guy publicly. I'm going to get up on stage in the synagogue with this open mic thing, and I'm going to rebuke him publicly. That's not my job. That's not my role. That's not my role. I am to be respectful. He has taken the initiative. So I said they took him aside. That, so they took him aside privately to not humiliate him, but rather correct and encourage. And that's okay for, you know, and that's where, where the difference between men and women are, where men, you know, we are, we are told to actually do things actually quite publicly. We're supposed to go things if we have to. We saw uh, Paul rebuke Peter face to face and confront him in front of a whole multitude of people. That is the man's job, again, dealing with the external affairs. So women noticing this more internal affair issue went to him more privately and talked to him. So... Also, notice the high regard women are given. This is a big issue that people think that the Bible is misogynistic, and it's really not. Notice the high regard women are given in Romans 16, 1 through 2. I commend to you your, our sister Phoebe. So he's giving Phoebe over to them because she's going over to serve. And he says, a servant of the church at uh, Concrea, or Centria, sorry, that you, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. So he's saying, going, hey, whoa, this woman has helped me a lot. She is a strong servant of the Lord, and I'm sending her to you real quick, and whatever she needs, you give it to her. In other words, there's some authority given here. But again, it's what, her, what is her authority over? And again, God has certain roles for women and certain roles for men, and we are to fit those roles so that way we keep things accurately. So, uh, for example, Jesus is very wise. The Son of God is extremely wise, but, the, but it, he is still subservient to the Father. Does not mean Jesus is less valuable than the Father. So that Jesus' job was to be the Messiah of men, to be this perfect sacrifice of men. Uh, of men. I mean mankind when I say men. He was supposed to be these roles. He's the propitiation for our sins. And God is the orchestrator and order of the universe, the creator of all things. So Jesus is subservient to the Father. Does not mean Jesus is less valuable. It means that their roles are simply different. Same thing here. This also doesn't mean that women can only work at home, as I mentioned before, because this is an extreme view. I've actually, I had a phone call once of somebody who was very angry that he found out my wife worked. Um, he's like, women are supposed to be workers at home. How could she be workers at home if she's uh, working outside? Side. Well, it's like, no, it's talking about her focus there. It's not saying that she exclusively can only work within the, wall, the walls of her home. Because in Acts 16.4, we see Lydia, who want, it says right here, 16.14, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened to her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. To be a seller of purple is a very valuable color. It means she had to have a lot of capital, which means she had money. Okay, she had a lot of inventory as well. She was a, a powerful woman, a very uh, you know a, a disciplined woman. Same with Proverbs thirty-one woman. She ran a vineyard and had employees. It's just where what's her role? What's her focus on at home? And how does she operate with her husband? That's the difference here. So again, where men and women are very similar, but where we differ are extreme. So. 
obviously there's going to be some objections. So what about some things? So obviously we see that women and men have different key roles in scripture, but it doesn't create a great many distinctions outside of some of these roles that are mentioned. So we know that men are to be the leaders and the point man of his home and the external worker and provider, but that women are to be leaders of other women and children, and they are supposed to be hard workers as well. As well. But the authority lies again with the man, because again, somebody has to make the decision somewhere. But he is to also always incline his ear to her as Christ loves the church. I think I've emphasized that a lot. So the best I can say is that men are commanded to be humble servant leaders, concerned a lot with the external, while women are commanded to be humble, strong servants. Notice so a servant leader and a strong servant. So you'll notice that mm, so strong servant concerned a lot with the internal. So this, as you can see, creates a balance of focus in the home where neither one ought to be fighting over their own territory, but in fact complementing each other, hence complementarianism. The man is to be the authority in the home, but this authority must be also subservient to God's authority and with always an inclined ear to his wife. So this is where things get messed up, because when the man thinks that it's his responsibility to be the authority, then that means he must be the dictator. This is not so. We are commanded to obey God, you know, and that's where, where it comes. So he must have his heart always in check with the Lord, which means men, pursue God. Don't be lazy, okay? Galatians 3.28 also says this, and people oftentimes use this, so there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. People often use this verse out of context to twist it that the role of the pastor isn't to be a man, but that completely contradicts 1 Timothy chapter 3 where it says, uh, he who desires to be a, pa a pastor or a bishop, you must be a husband, he must be a husband of one wife, which means that he has to be a man. Uh, so this whole idea of no male or female, people use this at, to get rid of the role of the pastor. Also, they use this to insert gender-like fluidity. See, there's no more male or female. It's all fluid. That's not what he's talking about here. Um, this isn't to be uh, a man that, uh, what is it? So people use this to mean that the role, that maybe it's not the role of the pastor, isn't to always be a man, and all that Moses and Paul said regarding such roles are gone, and this is simply untrue. Because the context here in Galatians 3.28 is dealing with our role uh, in Christ. The context doesn't change our roles. It's referring to our salvation and our identity in the Messiah, in Jesus Christ. Not our earthly roles, because he continues with this. So 28 says this, and in verse 29 he says, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. So again, he's not talking about the actual role of male or female or the role of Greek or Jew. He's talking about our identity in Jesus Christ. So there is no male or female in Christ. There is no other uh, race. He doesn't care about gender and all that in salvation, in your identity in Christ. He's not referring to your role uh, still here because all those things all throughout Scripture, in Ephesians, since the very beginning from Genesis all the way into the epistles, we see that these roles exist. So, I hope this clarifies some things for you if you're wondering in this crazy world with identity issues, with everyone, if you know, we're wrong is right and right is wrong and all that stuff. I hope this view can help clarify to you what you ought to be doing in your marriage, what you ought to be doing in your church, and how you ought to navigate your relationships. So, 
I know, and nowadays in 2020, this is a very unpopular view. And if you think I'm wrong, feel free to correct me in the comments. But guys, do me a favor. I know this was a long video, but I feel like I felt like a deep dive was uh, was necessary. So essentially, if you're you're very liberal, you're not going to like this video. But if you're extremely conservative and fundamentalist, you're not going to like this video either, because I'm telling you that you're not the dictator of the home, but I'm also telling you that gender isn't fluid and you don't get to change the roles of God just because you feel like it. God has structure for a reason. So. As in the words of a wise man named Thanos, perfectly balanced as all things should be. So anyway, thank you all for being here today. Please, guys, like, subscribe, share, hit the notification bell, do whatever it takes. Help the YouTube algorithm find this channel. If you find this channel to be helpful to you, please like and share. If you just believe in having respectful biblical discourse without having knives and guns pointed at each other, please share this along. Help us grow. We've grown quite a bit already in just the last few months. Please, guys, help us out. Thank you very much. Love you all. God bless. And this has been The Church Split.